Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carpet, your host, and with me is none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. Hey, Brandon, how you doing today, man? I'm doing really good, Mark. How about you? I am happy as can be. I am celebrating the first inaugural, well, that's redundant, the inaugural <laughs> Lou Gehrig Day today, man. Here it is, June 2nd, and exciting times. We'll talk about him a little bit later on today. But if you're asking me how I'm really doing, I am tired, brother. I'm tired for a lot of reasons, and one of them was last night just staying up for 11 innings with the Rays and Yankees. And I said, are, you, are one of your teams, or when are you going to make this thing get done? Now, I know there's been longer games, but it was interesting to see that Clint Frazier was the guy to to break that up. Uh, well, we'll talk about some ALS East teams here in a little bit, too. You know, we're talking about... We're talking about... I like to say it a lot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If we look at the AL East today, there's going to be some reasons we see some immediate changes over the next few days. And part of that's going to be Nothing to do with an AL team. It's going to be the Astros. There was some interesting th- last night with the Orioles, Brandon. Did you see that the Orioles decided to come up and have a new record on their team? I did not. What is that record? Yeah, yeah. They, they broke a 14-game losing streak. Ah! Oh. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to be the Twins and be able to say, well, we were the glad we were able to help that team out at a, at a difficult time during their, their season? Yeah, it's always nice to help people out in times of need. <laughs> well, the the day before the the Twins did actually win, but uh, it was on a Monday, and they had almost a casualty, and that was when Rob Refsnyder was running out there deep into the outfield, and he must not felt the warning track beneath his feet because, bam, there he was leaving an imprint in the wall. <laughs> I respect the concentration, but it happens to everybody where you forget where you are. It's just the only problem is his was on TV and it wound up on Twitter. Yeah, and and it will live for a while, okay? It, it will live. But what I found even more interesting was the next day, Tuesday, they've got the ground crew getting everything ready before the game. And one of them's out there about where Ron was, and I thought, oh, maybe maybe there was a cut in the wall because you have big old plastic and cushioning. Maybe there's something needed. Fix. Lo and behold, as things progress, it has nothing to do with cut. They have taped out what appears to look much like a crime scene chalk model of Rob Snyder, <laughs> where he hit the wall. <laughs> they cut the camera to Rob, and he's looking out there, and he was not smiling. He he did not enjoy the silliness of the moment, if you will. Oh, come on. You got to laugh at yourself every once in a while. That was fun. You've got to, man. We t- like I said, we're going to talk about ebb and flow today. Things that come in and things that go out. Careers that go up and careers that go down. Teams that are performing, then not performing, and then come back again. But <laughs> the Orioles, looks like maybe they've started, not necessarily a crest, but coming back. We'll see how that plays out for them in the rest of the series. Okay. Well, one thing I do want to celebrate today is it is the inaugural Lou Gehrig Day across all of MLB. Now, Brandon, did you know that he's only one of two others who have their own day in the MLB year? I I did not, actually. I, I mean, I already thought he already had his own day. Cause yeah. Does that mean it seems like everybody's celebrating every year? Well, you, the history of it is there. I mean, 
He, we'll go into you know, why he is known so well. And there's still only two others. That's Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente. And these people were celebrated, each one of them, for not merely what they did on the field, but what they did either for uh, civic reasons or making a change in our society. So anyway, I'm glad to see we have this one for Gehrig. But let's, we'll, we'll talk about what that means. One of the things celebrating with MLB days is, pardon me, Lou Gehrig's number was number four. And there's going to be wristbands and such handed out, which have the numeric four hyphen ALS, because Lou Gehrig died from that disease. And we'll talk about how that has impacted him and a lot of people in this world. But first, let's take a look at the history of Lou Gehrig. This man, he signed up with the Yankees in 1923. They were looking at him at high school in uh, New York before he ever got there. So like three years before he became a Yankee, they were looking at him closely in high school. And you know, he, he achieved a lot, Brandon. I mean, you see, he achieved all-star status seven times, and he also became a, a triple crown winner once. Now, that's, see, I think there's only 10 people in the MLB who's had that distinction, Brandon. Do you know what that, uh, what a triple crown is in baseball? Isn't it where you lead in, like, hits, homers, and RBIs? Boom. You've got a batting average, home runs, and RBIs. But, you know, he's led the league in... Let's want to say how many times? Well, once. You know, there are only 10 people who've ever had that distinction. So huge. MVP twice. Member of six World Series champion teams. A career 340 batting average. Who wouldn't want that? I'd love to have that, especially nowadays. Oh, gosh. Uh, 447 on base average. Yet uh, 493 home runs. Had 1,995 RBIs, and he still has the highest ratio of runs scored plus runs batted in per 100 plate appearances. Hmm. I'm kind of curious. If he didn't get sick, I don't know how much longer he would have played, but what kind of numbers would he have put up in his career if he was able to keep playing? Oh, my. It It would have been outstanding. I mean, some people may have surpassed some of these but only because he was able to participate even more. Let's see. I mean, Gary was around for 17 seasons. He played 2,130 consecutive, hear that word, consecutive games. No wonder they called him the Iron Horse. I mean, he had to be strong and durable to be able to achieve that. <laughs> he stole my line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, dude. But, uh, you know, it's, he, he, I mean, think about it. I mean, looking at, so, I mean, did you know why they chose June 2nd for Lou Gehrig Day? I do not. Well, evidently it has significance for a couple of reasons. One, that's the day that he became the Yankees starting first baseman. And if I remember the legend correctly, there was another player who played first base who had a severe headache. And then he said, Put that Gary guy in there. <laughs> so June 2nd was a date. I think it's back in 1925 where he started playing that. Oh, imagine losing your job over a headache. 
Don't call in sick here, buddy. <laughs> and in 1941, on that same day, he passed away at the age of 37. 37, man. That's, that's a very young man. Yes. And, you know, I mean, it's the whole thing about ALS. It is a debilitating disease. And usually when a person discovers they have it, it's within a couple of years that they wind up passing. And it's not, not that any disease is easy. But this is one where a person slowly loses a lot of their ability for their motor functions of their body. And I, I don't want it may, it may be overly dramatic here, but it's, it's kind of a slow death. Uh, personally, my family had a friend, very close friend, who was in our wedding, who suffered through this for a couple of years. And I got to tell you, she was a woman who was bright, encouraging, and a mother of four. And I, she to this day, I look to her as a person of encouragement for myself, of somebody who's facing something difficult. But anyway, um, coming back to the focus of ALS, I want to start with how Lou Gehrig addressed it in his own life. Let's go ahead and play the speech he gave, the farewell speech he gave to the Yankees. First baseman Lou Gehrig hung up an amazing mark by playing in 2,130 consecutive games. Then a fatal disease attacked baseball's Iron Man. In Yankee Stadium, touched to tears by the tribute, Gehrig made his last public appearance. For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as a standing in uniform in this ballpark today? That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. Okay, well, that says it. The, the man was courageous. You know, he was thankful for the life he had. He was thankful for the, the friends and the players he's able to be with. And, you know, he, he gave hope in a, in a... And that hope extended to people who had ALS, ALS later, excuse me, was that there's Pete Freights, the gentleman who had ALS and passed away a few years ago. Once he found out he had it, he had a plaque made with Lou Gehrig's name, and he had to put it right above his doorway. And every time he'd pass his doorway going in and out, he'd take his hand and tap it up there just to remind him of somebody who persevered as much as they could with this deadly disease. And Pete Freights took it to another level. He didn't just say, I have this and count the days. This is the guy. <laughs> you all remember, may remember this. To raise awareness and funds to fight ALS, there was, a, there was the ice bucket challenge. Do you remember that, Brandon? I remember it well. It feels like a long time ago since that was, that was like everywhere. 
Oh, it was viral. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing somebody throwing the ice bucket challenge. It was across all social media. I know when uh, my kids were in college, one of them who shall go nameless, uh, Christina. But she was participating in that and saw the dump of, of ice with that. I thought, challenging other family members and says to do it. And I said, uh-uh, I'm sorry. I'll cut a check for ALS, but I'm not doing the ice thing. Sorry. Oh, you would be my first nomination. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Especially now that you said that. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, 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 see, I mean, there's a guy who had this terrible disease and found a way to contribute and do something. And I think that's a big part of the message that people should carry with them today on this Lou Gehrig day. Okay, let's get back to the more mundane things in the world, including baseball, the actual game and what's happening. The divisions, what's going on, man? We're talking about the ebb and flow of teams coming up, going down, players up and down. What can you share, Brandon? Well, I'm going to share quite a few things, and I guess we'll start out in the National League since we started in the AO last week, or earlier this weekend. Yeah, that was last week, but that doesn't matter now. Okay. <laughs> We'll start in the NL East where the Mets still lead that division at 26 and 21 with the Braves in second three and a half games back. The Phillies four back, Marlins five back, and the Nationals six games back at 22 and 29. The Chicago Cubs, they still lead the Central Division, not by much, only a game and a half over the Cardinals. For the Cardinals, they're 31 and 24, the Cubs 31 and 23. The Brewers are in third, two and a half games back. The Reds back a little bit further, six and a half. And then the Pirates, they're back there somewhere, 11 games behind. Heading out west, the Giants surprisingly still lead the NL West at 34 and 21, with the Padres in second, half a game back. The Dodgers are in third, two games back. And then we have to go a long ways where we find the Rockies 13 and the Diamondbacks 14 and a half out of first. Ooh. Those numbers hurt. Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> we'll stay out west, and we'll, we'll start in the American League. The A's, they still lead the West at 32-25, and 25, only a half a game ahead of the Astros, three and a half ahead of the Mariners, the Angels in fourth, six games back, and the Rangers, nine and a half back. In we'll say a little bit more about those Astros in just a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a little tease for a later topic. Excellent job, Mark. In the AL Central, the Chicago White Sox and Tony La Russa still lead that division at 33-22, and 22, with the Indians two and a half games back, the Royals five back, Tigers ten, and surprisingly the Twins hauling up the rear at ten and a half games back. And lastly, in the AL East, we have the Rays leading that division with the best record in baseball, 35-21, and 21, or at least it was, I'll leave an asterisk next to that. The Red Sox in second at 32 and 22, two games back. The Yankees four and a half games back after a victory over the Rays last night at the time of recording. The Blue Jays are in fourth, five and a half back. And the Orioles in last, 16 and a half back. And that'll do it with the standings. And Mark, I found an article earlier this week that I sent you. I thought it would be a good topic. It's called the Memorial Day MLB Standings Check. And it has guys like it has guys like Bradford, Doolittle, Buster Olney, and David Schoenfield. And I'm wondering, I have a couple of questions, and I kind of want to get your opinion on what you think of them. Okay. I'd be glad to impart my wisdom. 
here you are very wise. And since we just read off the standing, their first question is, what's the first thing that jumps out at you when you look at the standings right now? And it was pretty much unanimous. They all picked the NL East and Buster only. He referred it to an absolute mess. It looks like a NASCAR race after a 25 car pileup in lap 15, which actually did happen in the Daytona 500 just a few months ago. And the race was horrible after that. I tell you who I was a little surprised about was, uh, and, and that's that's uh, Chicago White Sox. And that's because my own personal prejudice against Tony La Russa. But uh, I've been surprised and, and pleased for them to see they're doing so well. What about yourself? Do you have anything in particular? I'm kind of surprised by the Twins. I mean, I didn't expect them to be, I thought they'd be a contender. And I'll have a little bit more on that later. But. I don't know what's wrong with them. They're 10 games under 500. I thought they'd be maybe where the Indians are record-wise right now, maybe closer to the White Sox, but I didn't expect them to be worse than the Tigers. Yeah, and, and the Tigers, <laughs> didn't they sweep somebody recently? Oh, the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Who then beat the Rays last night? Yeah, we'll talk about some disruptors <laughs> later too, but that was... I kept shaking my head. I thought, if you didn't feel good about your Yankees already, after being beaten in a series, swept in a series by Detroit, what did you feel then? I'd feel sadness. I'd feel sad. I'd feel pain. <laughs> I'd feel embarrassment. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to be a Yankee fan right now. It is, but I might talk a little bit about them here in a later question. And here's the second one. Which team is headed for a big rise or drop in the standings in the future? Doolittle, he thinks that the Twins and the Indians could eventually flip-flop spots in the Central. And Schoenfield, he agreed he thinks the Twins can still mimic the 2019 Nationals where they started out really slow. People thought there was going to be you know, a disaster, blow up the team, fire the manager, made up winning the World Series. And only he went... I'll go with the low-hanging fruit and pick the Dodgers to gather momentum. Oh, come on. Okay. <laughs> that, that's that's just giving up. That's just like, I didn't do my homework, so I'll say Dodgers. Okay. That's, jeez. <laughs> All right. Now, you, you know, who surprised me, of course, was Detroit. You know, who knows what A.J. Hinch is going to do with this team? I mean, after beating up on the Yankees that much. If Boston, you know, Boston surprised me. And who else? Who else? Well, the Astros don't surprise me, but like I said, we're, we're going to talk about them in a minute. I, I don't know, Brandon. I'm trying to – I can't – you know, I, I would not have thought of the Twins. That would not have been my choice. I think – I can't really think of a team that's going to have a big drop in the standings. But honestly, a rise, and this might seem kind of crazy considering they were just swept by the Tigers, but I think the Yankees could have a really big rise. I told it – I said it in our last show. I think that their roster is just too good – and they're still hanging in there in the division race, and they really haven't played their best baseball. I mean, look at their pitching staff. Didn't they go like a week straight without giving up an earned run? Yeah. So I think they're primed for a big run here soon. Drop-wise, I, I honestly don't know. I think maybe the Indians, because Doolittle did write, so far Cleveland has played one of the easiest schedules. And talking about the Twins, they have had too much talent to play that bad. And also they've had, I believe, one of the harder schedules he wrote as well. So maybe they could rise as well. 
we'll see what comes with that. So mark this down. Brandon says Yankees. That's where I expect to see some growth. I'm looking at a team who has an unbroken record for June, and that's the Orioles. <laughs> okay, I know. 14 <laughs> losses. They finally broke out of it. They're going to go on one of those raise runs. Yeah. Yeah. I want to keep watching the Braves, too. Because Atlanta Braves, I expected more out of them this far this year. We'll see how that continues to see if they grow or climb their way down. That's a good one. All right, I'm going to come, kind of combine two since they're similar. Which team's place in the standings right now is the most disappointing and another is the most surprising in a good way? Well, if I was Yankees, I'm going back to them. I mean, I, I would be disappointed if I was them. And yeah, Obviously, if I was a Twins fan, I'd feel like that. Uh, Diamondbacks. I, I, I'm going to go to Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are suffering. There's only 26 or 20, 27 more teams I could name, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of with what you said earlier. The Braves, I'm kind of disappointed with what they have so far. You know, they're in second place. They're still two games below 500, three and a half out of first. And with that roster, a lot of people thought, you know, that's a World Series caliber team. And I think they still can be. And depending on what happens with Ozuna. Yeah. And I think they're... They could be another candidate for a big rise in the standings as well. And I think it either has to be the the Twins or the Angels as most disappointing so far. I mean, just look at those two rosters and think, do they really, does that really reflect where they are in the standings? I mean, it's, it's been sad watching the Angels with Trout all this time. Major talent, he's going to be there. Oh, let's bring Otani in. That'll make a difference. And... They're great to watch and perform those individuals. I didn't expect the team overall to be suffering this much with the Angels. Yeah, I mean, you look at, they've had the best player in baseball the past decade, and with arguably the best player in baseball the decade before that decade, both on the same team, and they haven't won a playoff series at all. So maybe it's, it's just one of those things, maybe it's just not meant to be. No, you, you, and you mentioned something there that's important. One, first, let's say Joe Madden, right? <laughs> bring, are you bringing the success from the Cubs? You're going to bring it to Angels? If so, that should be happening soon. But then you talk about the mentor. You talk about who was there, who was doing what before Trout came. And that was Mr. Pujols, the man who they got rid of just recently. So when you look at that and you say, okay, Angels, stand up. What's going on? And you got rid of this Pujols guy. Hey, not only was he a great player who, who wasn't doing his best this year, but he, in some ways, was the mentor for that entire team. If the best player in baseball, Trout, looks up to him, if it impacts that team on a personal level, above and beyond what happens on the field, you got problems. And I think you and I both were just kind of numb when this first happened. Yeah, we we were talking this morning, and we both were looking back. We were like, we kind of had like a memorial show for Pujols' career. And to be fair, pretty much all of baseball and the sports world was thinking that as well. But here we are now, what, maybe three weeks later, four weeks? Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, I'm looking here at the numbers for him, Brandon, from baseball reference. And let's see. His 2019 numbers, 
He played 131 games. He had 23 home runs, 93 RBIs. So let's go to the limited amount of this season thus far in 2021. With the Dodgers. But before that, the Angels. Let's talk about the Angels first. With the Angels, he played a total of 24 games. He had five home runs and 12 RBS. Eh, okay. But he's been now with the Dodgers for only 12 games. He's had uh, 40, nothing appearances compared to 92 with the Dodgers. And with that, he now has three home runs. So he had, <coughs> pardon me, he had three home runs with the Dodgers compared to the five with the Angels. And, you know, you could see that because I mean, the amount of time with each one's almost double over the other. But you look at the impact he had with RBS. For 12 games he's got with the Dodgers, he has 10 RBS. With the 24 games with the Angels, he has 12. Huge, huge, huge. His slugging percentage, Dodgers 526, Angels 372. OPS 801 with the Dodgers 622 with the Angels. Who turned on a switch? I don't know. But I bet uh, people on the other side of the way are thinking, why didn't we get this switch turned on about 10 years ago? And I'm kind of wondering if maybe he put maybe too much pressure on himself trying to live up to that contract because... I mean, looking at his stats just in 2019 alone, that's a pretty good year. And I don't know if it's really, if you're looking at that, is it really worth that contract that he got? I don't know. But I'm, really, I'm not used to having a player with that kind of contract. <laughs> but maybe it's just like a mental thing to where he needed a change of scenery and a change of situation to where he can kind of be more laid back with the Dodgers. He doesn't have to put more on his shoulders and he doesn't have the pressure of having to live up to those expectations as much. I think that Pujols is a Cardinal at heart. And I don't think that either the Angels or he, either one, embrace one another completely. And I would think that if you see that team continually failing to go further into the playoffs, it's hard to keep up with that. So the Dodgers here he is, he's with the World Series winning team. Has a lot of potential for you know the next year, and maybe that's what's stimulating. Like you said, I think change. You you may be. I think you're right on the mark with that. I think it is the change that helped create this for him. I'm wondering if when he left the Cardinals, it's similar how the people who are on like those big time TV shows that run for like ten years, they're kind of like after you know time's gone on since the show ended, they're other kind of like I've worked on many shows since, and it was never the same as it was there. So I'm wondering if maybe he's, it was kind of like he left and it was kind of like, it's not the same here as it was in St. Louis, even though, you know, things did have to end eventually. And and that may very well be the case, but he has got a fire lit under him now. It was, it was kind of sad watching him the other day. I thought, man, there's another home run. You know, he was going to hit it and walk off. I thought the end of the game. And Talkman goes up there to the wall. Pujols' ball is going over the wall. Talkman puts his hand up, leans over, and he's about probably a foot above all of it, and he catches that ball and snatches it. And then you look at Pujols' face, and it's like, oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> that was one of his first games in it as a Dodger, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so, but it's it's not slowed him down. No. It's like re-energized him, it seems. Yeah, and you know, we, we've talked about Jackie Robertson and Clemente and Gehrig and how they brought attention to things and made changes. And then that show where we talked about Pujols a lot, like you said, Memorial almost. Pujols has done a lot to contribute to several different organizations. And I think that we may see one day where he is has his own day in another 20 years or so. I think you have to pass it in some amount of time. But I think we'll see Pujols. Pujols deserves that sort of uh, attention. I think I feel that way even more strongly because I felt like the way the Angels got rid of him was just was rude. Yeah, and if there's anybody that really does deserve his own day, it's him because he was he was professional at everything he did. You never really saw him pout or whine, even though you could. I mean, someone as good as him, you completely understand why, but he didn't do that. He was respectful to everybody on and off the field. So I think one day if they do give him his own day, I, I think it would be well-deserved. We'll see what happens. We're talking about old people on the game today and not just Pujols. I did a search recently. Who are the oldest players actively in MLB? Number one, Mr. Pujols. Who do you guess number two was? Number two. Ooh. I mean, the only old guy I can really think of off the top of my head is Rich Hill. That's because I saw him pitch the other day and he's on our team. Ding, 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 ding. You got it, man. Rich Hill. He turned 41 just like Mr. Pujols a couple weeks back. And Hill's just been amazing. You know, here he is starting a year with the Rays. I mean, we, we were feeling a loss with Charlie Morton. Looking at a veteran, somebody could come in the clubhouse and not only perform well, but raise the spirits, maybe do some mentorship. And boy, has he performed. Yeah, I remember when he first started out, it was a little bit shaky, you know, even though that one game he gave up like five runs and we both said at the time, we don't really think they were all his fault. They could have easily been prevented. He's been arguably our most dominant pitcher. And that says something because Glasgow has been pretty dominant as well. It's, it was just amazing to watch him. I mean, the other night, he had 13 strikeouts against the Royals last week. Boom, 13 strikeouts. I think the team still lost because the offense wasn't there. But he certainly contributed to his part of the game. Let's see. According to StatCast, he generated 18 whiffs on 34 swings and uh, maxing out at approximately 91 miles per hour. But, uh, you know, a guy like that, to see what else his results for May, he allowed just one run in his first 26 and two-thirds innings. <laughs> One run in 26 and two-thirds innings. That's a hell of a ERA. That, that's a heck of a run. And also in this little thing that you sent me, he recorded a whiff on nearly half of the 25 swings taken against his pitches. So 27 whiffs over 55 pitches. Huge. Huge. Okay. Well, we've been talking about old folks. Let's talk about what I always think of is <laughs> You know, the guy I was saying, I, I'm surprised how well the White Sox is doing. And that's none other than who's on second, Mr. Tony LaRusa. He's 76. And then another old guy. Well, I mean, again, he's bringing these White Sox up, and I, I was still kind of surprised. Uh, but another older manager who's doing well, 
And that's Mr. Dusty Baker. He's age 71. Oh, we heard plenty about his age during the ALCS every game. Do you know how old Dusty Baker is? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I remember that was your pet peeve. Yeah, because I thought, yeah, let's look at age. Let's not look at what this man's done. And why he did oh, well last year. Look at what they're doing right now. They're second in the AL West, and they got a 565 win percentage. That just doesn't happen because you got good players on the team. You have to have some direction behind it. And he's had that. I mean, he had a team that was crumbled because of the disdain, the hate, the booze, and everything else. I mean, it's B-O-O-S, not booze with a Z. <laughs> <laughs> the booze that this team has encountered this year, and he's helped guide them through a difficult time. Yeah, he's done a really good job at that, even though I do get the sense a lot of people are annoyed with him doing that, even though, you know, he's the manager. That's his job. That, that's what he's supposed to do. And he really does seem to care about these guys, trying to, you know, sort of protect them, even though, you know, people don't want him doing that, and understandably so on both sides. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, let's talk about the impact that Dusty and the Astros have made. I mean, we were talking ebb and flow. And, you know, the Astros, you, you think out of up there in the stars and the moon and the lunar cycle, the waves rising and crashing, high tide, low tide, all that comes from the moon and the Astros. <laughs> eh, you know, maybe <laughs> not. That does, not a direct correlation. I mean, I got a better one. There's the movie Caddyshack. And if any of you all haven't seen this, you need to. You're looking at Bill Murray, you know, you're looking at Chevy Chase and who else is in that thing? Rodney Dangerfield. And one part in Caddyshack, it's all these caddies are around the pool of a country club. There's one kid that everybody just totally dislikes. They can't stand him. He is the nephew of a popular judge, at least popular amongst the people at the country club. And this kid's hated. He's standing there by the pool. He opens up a candy bar, Buddy Butterfinger. He takes a bite or two of it, looks out there at the pool and just says, hmm. I don't necessarily like this. And he tosses the Butterfinger into the pool. Seconds later, somebody sees it. Everybody sees, ah, there's a turd in the pool. They all go screaming. They run out of, you know, out. It, it impacts them all. The pool, the pool is cleansed. It's drained. And Bill Murray's down there cleaning it. He picks up the Butterfinger. And the judge them like, what are you doing? Touch that thing. He smells it, bites into it. And people collapse and fade and faint. <laughs> Well, that's what's happened with with what the, the it's not a long way to get there, but that's what's happened with the Astros. The Astros are that turd in the pool, if you will. They're Spalding. They're the kid who everyone loves to hate right now, but they're disrupting. And boy, are they disrupting things in the American League East. I go so far as to call them the sixth team in the American League East. Brandon, do you realize how many games they're playing against the American League East teams? No, I want to say maybe half of this month, maybe full of AL East games. Yeah, yeah. If you look at, let's see, there's a 10-game period, <clears throat> excuse me, between May 31st and June 10th, I guess maybe it's a limited period. They're playing Boston four times, Blue Jays three times, then Boston three more games, three more times after that. So 10 games within the May 31st to June 10th. Then, let's see, they defeat the Red Sox in the first of two games of their current series. 
They won eleven to two on Monday, and then five to one on Tuesday. Okay. Hmm. Let's see. Then if we take a look at who else they might be helping and putting something in a punch bowl. Brandon, if we looked at May and June of 2021, the Astros are going to be playing 56 games. Of those 56 games, 25 of them are uh, against American League East teams. It's like when they used to, maybe like 10 years ago, when you could play interleague games, and you did it all in like a two-week span. That's what this is kind of like. Well, it, it has to be. And right now with the Rays playing the Yankees, and with the Astros coming in and knocking some people down, it's going to be real interesting to see what the ALS looks like by the end of June. Because, again, looking here at the Astros for the entire month of May and June, talking about 25 games, and during that same period for the Yankees, they're only playing 22 games in the ALEs. So the Astros are playing three more games against the ALEs than the Yankees during that same period of time. Hey, if you remember earlier, I said the Yankees could go on a run. Maybe this could be the catalyst of it because they played the Astros earlier this year. They won that series. And looking at at least the Red Sox and the Rays, both of them have relatively struggled against the Astros. The Rays got swept. Boston's having a a bit of a difficult time against them. I know they did Monday. Maybe this could give some Yankee fans hope because they're the only team that's really beaten the Astros. I think you're right. I'm going to be looking with great attention on this because whatever it looks like now with the Rays at the top and the others as it goes down, I don't don't think the Orioles are going to rise to the top, but it will be interesting to see how those other four teams maybe do uh, musical chairs throughout the month of June. Coming back to a more serious subject, while we talked about Lou Gehrig and – his day-to-day June 2nd, and promoting the awareness of ALS and also encouraging people to donate to organizations that can help with that disease. There's another issue, and that's talking about the mental health a lot of folks. We saw recently, I think it was ESPN, did a special E60 documentary on Drew Robinson. And this young man was a player who played for the San Francisco Giants, and in the past year or so, he, he wasn't playing as well as he liked. It was times of COVID. And while he had a great relationship with family and friends in the past, he's isolated. And dark thoughts just kept coming to him to the point of where, uh, where he took a gun to his head. And fortunately, he survived suicide attempt. Uh, if, if you want to see his whole story, I think you should... ESPN has that as one of the E60 documentaries they've done. But the, he, he came back. And he's told this story a lot because of the pressure he feels about making himself better in the game. Now, you know, he, he's talking about bringing that on himself. But, but the truth of it is, too, I think the media brings that to a lot of people. And I, I, you know better than I, Brandon, sports outside of baseball. But Jack Campbell with the Canadians. What happened with that team recently? Uh, well, he plays with uh, the Maple Leafs, and they actually did lose to the Canadians. They were up 3-1 in the first round of the series, and they ended up collapsing. 
and they lost the series. And, you know, Maple Leafs had all these expectations. People were like, hey, they're the best team in the NHL right now. They're Stanley Cup favorites, and they're out in the first round. You know, they're doing the post-game interviews, and he basically has, like, his head down. He doesn't want to show his face. Basically, it just looks like he doesn't want to be there. Well, let's play an excerpt from that uh, from that interview. Jack, I just wonder if you can, at the risk of asking an obvious question, can you summarize how you feel at this moment and how the team felt sort of in the locker room, what that scene was like? It's just tough. Like, I just think of how hard our team battled and for it to end on a goal, you know, worst goal of my career and happening game seven, you know, it's not acceptable. And, um, you know, I think the team counts on me to be better and I know I can be a lot better than that. So I'm going to get back to work and be better. Now you, you hear that in his voice and Brandon gave you pretty much an explanation of how he was when he gave that. Something you should know. Teams are contractually obligated to the sports companies, to the broadcasting companies to give maybe three interviews at the end of each game. So post-game interviews, whether you won or lost, there's usually two, maybe three interviews that they have to give. So Jack Campbell was there, not necessarily because he said, you know, my pain is here and I want to share it with you. Not to mention the stupid, stupid way that man came up with that question. You know, it, it may may seem kind of a, uh, a silly question again, or risk. What did he say? I forget what he said exactly. But the thing of it was, how do you feel? How do you feel after losing it like this? You loser. He didn't say that. But the implication is that Jack Campbell was already hurting enough himself. I, the media didn't add anything to help alleviate that pain. They only magnified it for him. Yeah, and I don't know if the, he went in there wanting to be rude or offensive in any way, asking the question. Maybe it, it just came off that way but you know I think for the most part reporters do a good job trying to be respectful and that's pretty much all it is if you're respectful everything should be fine but you know you have some people are trying to be combative and all that stuff and it just like they don't really seem to understand what it's like because as fans even though we get upset we're not winning the championship. We're rooting for the team that wins it, and we have a lifetime to see them do that. But they've worked their whole lives to get to that point and only have a set amount of time to get there. And there is that saying where it's like, play, give it your all when you get there because you never know when you're going to go back. Some people get to go back. Some people never go back. I mean, just look at Tom Brady and Dan Marino. Brady's been to over 10 Super Bowls. Marino only went to one. That's, that's, that's all too true and, and all too scary, too. But you mentioned that it wasn't necessarily a question with malice. But we also talked about offline that there are reporters out there with kind of gotcha questions. I don't think that was one. And then you're talking about the experience, short term for a player, knowing they only have so much to achieve within a limited amount of time. And then fans, you know, and their the response. And we've seen some negativity from fans lately. I mean, some say, well, you know, COVID-19 kept everybody out of the stadium. So don't be surprised if fans are more fierce than usual. Don't be surprised if they do certain things that really aren't acceptable. Well, there's been enough of that behavior in the last week. 
popcorn pours, water bottles being thrown, fans leaping onto the court, trash thrown on the fields. Uh, what what do we see? Uh, what kind of actions can teams and leagues take with this? There's a ton of stuff they can do. I mean, I don't. I'm surprised we haven't had you know a malice at the palace event. Everybody should know what that is. G- give us a brief. Give us a brief uh, recount of that, just without going into depth. Uh, basically, the Pacers and the Pistons are playing in Detroit at the Palace, and there was a kind of like a fight on the court, and I don't remember who it was. The only name I can think of is Ron Artest. I think that's who it was. Went and sat on like the scoreboard table they have on the court, and somebody threw like I believe it was like like one of those fountain drinks you get, like those cups with the lids on it. I believe they threw like one of those at him and basically shot up and ran into the stands to fight the guy and a whole bunch of other players went up there with him and fans started fighting players. Share that later on, man, in a link. I, I, I think probably, like you said, a lot of people know what that is, but for those that don't, it's uh, it was quite a bit. I, I didn't mean to interrupt your your train there, buddy. What else were you going to say about that? Well, yeah, no, don't worry. You didn't interrupt my train. I mean, it's happened in all sports. There's a People made fun of Mike Milbury when he was on NHL shows. They're like, why are you going to listen to a guy who got in a fight with a fan and beat that fan with his own shoe? That's honestly one of the things people joke with him about when he was on TV. But I digress. Going back to where we were, we've seen fans get banned for life. And some of them have even been arrested and charged. I mean, like the fan that threw the water bottle. I believe he's being charged with assault or something like that. I don't know, when you ban somebody for life from an arena, what prevents you from keeping them from not coming back in? Because you can just get stuff on like the resale market. That's not in your name. I think they must post your picture at, at every one of the entry points of the stadium and say, if you see this guy, you know. It, you ever go into a, a convenience store and sometimes they'll have a so few photos of, photos of a few people. I can't speak. They'll have photos of a few people who, who've passed bad checks. Now, that may be a thing of the past, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised that there's a list of people to look out for. They, they have a slideshow at opening day orientation. Yeah. <laughs> so when you walk into the stadium and you see all those images of the players, look back at where you came from and say, oh, look behind me here. Why, who, who are these people I don't recognize? <laughs> oh, those are fans, fans I haven't seen in a while. But I'm, I'm glad they're being banned. I, I don't know what they're doing, but like I said, bad through a third party or something. Yeah, the, the real ugly ones, they probably do have a training for the fan hosts and the people in, in the stadium to recognize them. And if they have yeah. that kind of behavior, they'll, you'll probably recognize them again anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's maybe somebody that will remember that face. be hard to remember if you were there or hard to forget. Well, you know, and a part of this that sours it even more for me is the racist remarks. And I've heard them. I've heard them this season in baseball. They drop some of those mics, you know, from the broadcast booth to get the sounds from the audience, fans. And sometimes those that are loudest are sometimes the ones that are also saying the most vile remarks. And I've heard more than I wanted to hear this year. And I... I don't know. I, I like enthusiastic fans. I don't like racist fans. I don't. I don't really understand it. I mean, I don't understand. They're like, well, being locked up because of COVID and lockdowns, people are going to be crazy. 
Well, I've been locked down too. That doesn't want to make me go out and shout the N-word at somebody. Thank you. I don't... I mean, I've said it before. I don't really understand racism. I think sports is supposed to be fun. As naive as it may sound, it's supposed to be fun. And we talked about this the other day. When Pedro Martinez, in a post-game interview, he did bad. He's like, I might as well do this and have them have me call them daddy or something like that. And then in his next outing at Yankee Stadium, Yankee fans were chanting, who's your daddy? Like, that's fun. That's in good nature. It's not malice, anything behind it. It's what sports is supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun, not offensive or racist in that sort of way. Yeah, and I, I kind of went off a tangent there a little bit about that, but it's talking about you know having respect for the players. We're there to be entertained by them, but we should respect them as well. We started out talking about you know Jack Campbell in the interview, talking about Drew Robinson and, and the health and the pressure that's on these players. And tennis, Naomi Osaka this past week, you know she 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 had almost a debilitating pressure she had for doing interviews. You know, all this whole Zoom room thing. And she basically said, I'm going to opt out of this. He said, that's fine. Go ahead and opt out of it, and we'll find you. A lot of, a lot of compassion there. Uh, but, well, you know, she said, guess what? I'm going to go ahead and just drop out of the tournament. I don't want to draw any more attention to myself and take away from the game or for the other participants in it. And while that may have been her intention, it kind of had the opposite effect. It brought attention to it, and it should have, about a person who is a person who was overwhelmed about all this. you got to be respectful of that. Yeah, and I understand where she's coming from. I mean, I'm an introverted person, too, and Mark, you can, you can back me up on this. When I first met you, I was still a quieter person. I didn't really say a whole lot. I was... I didn't jump in like I do now and, you know, make all these jokes with you like I did. I was more of a quieter person. And I think you even saw it there. When we were at the school together, at our old studio, I didn't like doing stuff in front of a camera. If I was going to talk, I'd want to do it over the radio like we're doing right now. I mean, I understand where she's coming from, to be honest. And it affects everybody in different ways. It it does, and to try to set everything in one path and don't have any consideration of a person's feelings about it, you have to have some flexibility. There are people <laughs> who absolutely love to be in front of the camera, certainly after a win, and there's those who are sheepish, but maybe they contribute a great deal to a game, maybe... Uh, Maybe the game really stunk, and uh, they don't they don't feel like being out there in front of it. They don't feel like magnifying the pain that they're already experiencing. And if it's not even pain, like you were saying, some people just to say, you know, I am uncomfortable doing this. Mm. Considerations have to be in play, and they're not. They they could have they need to probably work on something. We I came up earlier with like. Maybe they should do something where whoever wants to go talk to the media at the moment, you can go talk with them. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Maybe do something like that. Yeah, because there are certain players we know, even on our race team, 
I won't mention any, but if you're a Braves fan, you know who they are. We love sitting in front of the camera and answering questions. But uh, <laughs> most of them are contractually obligated to do that. I mean, if you watch any ball game, you watch like, if I'm looking on Bally Sports a lot, after the game, they usually have two or three people who speak. And it's usually the coach and maybe one or two players. So it's it's part of what the arrangement is. And I, I, I respect that. But like you were saying, maybe it would be better if they give them the flexibility of saying, hey, you know, John doesn't want to come out on this one. Jack doesn't want to see this. Whatever. But these other guys will be glad to speak with you. All right, I'm going down this line too much, I guess. But the, the advice I would say on this is that the media needs to find a way to be more considerate of individuals. And if there's a player who's really suffering after game, there's no reason to put them on display and make them hurt even more. If they're uncomfortable doing it, like you said, we've got other players who'd be more than happy to talk with you. We'll bring them out. Maybe they are doing that, Brandon. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think they do that in like some sort of way. We're not exactly like that, but overall, just be nice to each other. It's it's such a simple concept, but it seems so so difficult to do. It, it does. And so I would ask folks just to keep that in consideration. And as far as pressure overall, I would point people back to see if they can find that E60 interview Jeff Passon has with Drew Robinson. And about, you know, what what he did and coming back from that. So another challenge for the world above and beyond the world of baseball. But there is the business of baseball and we have a calendar. What's coming up? What's happening? Looking at uh, June and July, mostly July, there's a lot happening. Today? I mean, come on. We got we got an inaugural Lou Gehrig Day. Hey, celebrate. I've got I've got cake out and everything else, and I'm getting ready to sit down and watch the Yankees and Rays play today, or tonight, actually. And that should be interesting since Lou Gehrig was a Yankee. And while they're going to be doing something across all MLB games today and tomorrow, there's definitely going to be, uh, <laughs> I would think, something very, very special at Yankee Stadium today. And then July, 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 July really becomes crazy because you've got the MLB draft between the 11th and 13th. It'll be looking like potential of some uh, guys from high school, Vanderbilt, even here in Louisville. So we'll see that. Uh, jump in here if you've got anything. Oh, All-Star Game. Let's see. That's just, man, that's just a few weeks away. It's July 13th, month and a half away. Man, it, it sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, do you have any early choices for that? Anybody you're looking at saying, yeah, I'd like to see them there? Well, I'd love to see Glass now or Rich Hill there just from being a Rays fan. I'd also love to see Trey Mancini get in. You know, he he doesn't lead the the league in, you know, RBIs or a whole lot of stats. He is one of the better first basemen. Yeah. And I, especially with the story of beating cancer, I think that would be a great story to come back and in your first year back make the all-star team, I think that would be a great storyline for the game and league. I think both of those are great choices. I I think that if I look out to uh, out west, I would I'd pick Otani. I want to see Otani. I mean, he could do so much, whether it's, you know, at the plate or, you know, pitching from the mound. And I don't know where they're holding it this year, so if there would be a DH or not. But uh, In Denver. Yeah. Or Colorado. Okay, okay. So he he would be somebody I'd like to see. Glass now somebody I always want to see from my own praise prejudice. 
Another one I'd like to see is Jacob deGrom. I mean, here's a guy who's just continually to elevate the velocity year after year. As he ages, his speed goes up. So <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see him play as well. That'd be a good one. Be a nice, nice starter. Glass now versus deGrom. And one other I'll throw in just as a, a strange variable. Because I don't think he's performing the way he can, but he might be by then, and that's DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, that could be a good one, a possible, maybe a late, late, a late guy or a late edition. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. And then also in July, we got the twenty July twenty fifth, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. July thirtieth, the trade deadline, and uh, we'll see what happens there. Who, Who's the name you and I both talked about as far as this, we expect to see in the trades? Um, I think it was Trevor Story. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. So we'll see what happens there. But that's pretty much the calendar. And, of course, today being June 2nd, it's the inaugural Lou Gehrig Day. So happy Lou Gehrig Day to everyone. Any other topics that you can think of, Brandon, we should cover today? No, I think we got all our bases covered for this week. Yeah, yeah, you and I both. So I want to thank everybody for joining us today here at Baseball Biz. Brandon and I welcome you every week. You can contact us on Twitter, Brandon at Sports Blitz Pod, myself at the Baseball Biz on Twitter. Additionally, you can find us at Poo- <laughs> You can find us on podcast for services like Apple, Stitcher, Google. Oh, what am I forgetting, man? iHeart. What's that? iHeart. Oh, yes, iHeart. So you can find us on any and all of those. Plus, we just love having you guys here. So thanks again for joining us today on Baseball Biz, and we'll talk with you again real soon. Special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music rocking forward.